You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Grace. I'm Chelsea. This is Two Girls, One Crossword. Uh, that's right. Your weekly favorite crosscast podword. Crossword. No, podword crosscast. Oh, my God. We don't deserve to have this podcast. I'm sorry. If we've. F it up one more time. That's it. We Take have it to away quit. from us. Yeah. yeah. Is there anyone out there who wants this? We will gladly hand over the reins. We'll let you know all the secrets. Yeah. How to make this thing run. Yeah. And the, the hot tea we have. We have nothing. We are actually <laughs> drinking hot tea. We are. Yeah. That's something you can have if you do this podcast is hot tea. You're going to need it in the morning. Your voice is all raspy. Yeah. Your morning voice. You're like. I feel like our listeners probably think that we have super raspy, deep voices. We do. But you should hear us later in the day. We don't <laughs> sound like this. And we're like, oh, my God, this is great. Right? Yeah, basically. It's a good impression of me, actually. <laughs> um, speaking of impressions, Grace has been on a what an oh. impressions <laughs> kick. I've been really speaking in, or I've been speaking in this British accent, so I'm trying my best to stop. I can't. It's like the Love Island British accent. She can't so, get out of it. We'll see. If I slip into it this episode, then you'll know. You'll hear it. But I'm trying to stay out of it. so funny. We were, she was, we were at lunch doing a crossword, and so she was talking to people at the lunch table in the accent. They were looking at her like... They are like, wait, are you speaking in an accent? I can't understand you. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Don't mind me. She's just um, a single queen. You know the vibes. I'm one of those people that... <laughs> that's from Vine. Uh, I'm one of those people that if I moved to London, I would totally pick up the accent. And be obnoxious, but it's not my fault. I it's not up, her fault. I picked up the Chicago accent. I'm not from here. Yeah. And I didn't want it. Fight her on it. Yeah. Honestly, meet me outside, like, after the... <laughs> there she is. Should we get into our yes. heights and shites? We should get into the heights and shites. No corrections corners from me this week. No correct. I don't know. I was on vacation, baby. I don't correct uh, myself on vacation. roll. I roll. I was actually visiting family, so, like... <laughs> Wait, why are you I'm doing not, the I thing? I just pulled it up. I just pulled it up. I'm Chelsea's not... slipping the coin, and we're not even in our hits and shits yet. Okay, let's do hits and shits. Sorry. All right, I don't really have... I mean, I was gone, so I didn't do that many crosswords. In case you guys forgot from five seconds ago, she was on vacation with her family, so she doesn't do crosswords. I went home for my cousin's baby shower, okay? There's no crosswords in Miami, so... There aren't. Um, but there is one I liked. This is from the Queer Crosswords. We did it yesterday. Animation Ships by Johnny Lazebnik. And uh, one of the clues was 51 down, parting words, question mark. And the answer was obit. Mm-hmm. I like that one, too. Yeah. It's kind of morbid, but hey. I like it. We're wrapping up spooky season, sending it off with a... I know. I'm very sad spooky season's over, but now it's Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Skipping right over Thanksgiving, going right into Christmas. Goodbye. It's time for Let It Snow. Okay. Hallmark <laughs> did it, so why can't I? <laughs> True. Um, actually, we should probably practice singing Silver Bells. On mic, yeah. I don't think we, we want to keep our listeners. Oh, not sure. drive them away. True. Okay. That's our, our other podcast where we just sing Christmas carols. <laughs> Tune in. Um, hits and shits for me. Were you here for the Thursday crossword last week with the diamond theme? I feel like I was. I feel like you were. Here. Did you do it with us though? No, I think maybe we did it a little bit at lunch, and then right, you guys finished it without me or something. Because I sat with Car- Carla, sat at the table, and ended up doing it with us. Were you there with that? Yeah, but anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I want to talk about that puzzle because it um, it was one of those puzzles where we were doing it at lunch, and eventually, like, the whole table was involved. People were, like, leaning over our shoulders and, like, invested in it um, and, like, helping us solve it, which is, like, a lot of fun, which I love when that happens. And people who don't usually sit at the, the lunch table were coming out and sitting with us and... It was just fun. But the puzzle itself was not fun. There's a lot of, like, eye rolling, especially when we realized what the theme was. Oh, right. This was, like, the heavy sports one, right? Yes. So one of the things we noticed off the bat, like, there was a ton of sports clues. And I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sports clues. And none of them seemed related to each other. They're just, like, sports trivia. Um, But a lot of them were, like, really kind of, like, arcane trivia or trivia about sports that is super old and I was like we have tons of people who care about sports and especially baseball and why mm-hmm. don't any of these people know these answers uh, a question for example was 33 across Walter Blank 1950s to 70s Dodgers man- manager 
what? Like, who knows that? I mean, maybe somebody does. Or Some people know that. 40D, uh, 40 down Hall of Fame coach. So the manager for the Dodgers was Austin, and the coach was Weeb, W-E-E-B, which just, I don't know, whatever. Those are just two of the seven sports-related clues within the puzzle. But the puzzle itself had circled clues or circled letters scattered throughout the grid. In From like an aerial view, I didn't see any pattern or rhyme or reason for why these circles Certain. were there. Um, and then you start filling in the answers, and none of the letters kind of matched, and there's no revealer in the puzzle, which doesn't necessarily have to be a revealer, but it felt like there was like no rhyme or reason of like, why are these circles here? The letters that are filled in don't seem related to one another. We wrote them all out, and it was like, what does this mean, blah, blah, blah. And eventually, when we finally realized what it was, like, truly, the entire table was like, oh, my God. Okay, so the theme was diamonds. There was no revealer, so nobody knew. You you can't just, like, you just kind of, like, infer and guess and, like, be smart, I guess, but I guess we're not. So the circled squares form and spell out different types of diamonds. Neil Diamond. For instance, so each... Um, each corner of the puzzle had four circles, and they formed diamonds. Each quadrant had their own diamond, and then there was a big diamond in the middle. Thank you. Um, and so in the top left was faux, so that was like F-A-U-X in the shape of a diamond, so faux diamond. Hope in the top right corner. Baseball diamond was a big one in the middle. Um, Neil was in the bottom left, and legs was in the bottom right. What's a Legs diamond. I don't know. Maybe I wrote the wrong thing in here, but that's what I have in my notes. <laughs> Legs diamond. That's like my <laughs> baseball nickname. I, think. <laughs> I became a baseball player. <laughs> she is going to become a baseball player. It's perfect. Anyway. Go so, Legs. So it's just one of those where we were like, merp. Yeah, I, I do remember doing that. And we did have a big group doing it. Usually when we have that big of a group, the puzzle gets done really quickly, obviously, because there's a ton of different people putting in their input. But Right. We are all kind of trudging through this one. It was yeah. hard. The sports ones are hard, and it's not that we don't we don't have that many sports fans in the office, but we have a couple. And yeah, they, we do, and we know exactly who they are, and they usually like can really help us fill in the sports ones, the yeah. parts that we're missing. And like they are, I feel like puzzles should be able to have like sports trivia in them, but I think For there's sure. a point where it's like the whole damn puzzle is sports from the fifties, from the fifties, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So yeah. Um, I really like the Friday New York Times puzzle, though. Um, that was constructed by Peter Wentz. That was November 8th. It felt really like, contemporary and topical mm-hmm. in a way that wasn't kind of like skeezy. Because sometimes I feel like there are topical answers in the puzzle, but it feels more like... <laughs> like the NRA. Yes. Well, funny you should mention that because the NRA was clued in this puzzle. But... Or was one of the answers. 57 down, organization targeted by mom's demand action. And the answer was NRA. And I think that's probably the best way I've ever seen NRA clue oh, yeah, for sure. in the New York Times. Um, because it's it kind of sh- doesn't just say, like, oh, this is a, a political like, organization. Like, oh, it's some harmless little organization. Right. No. It's been targeted by other organizations as being a bad organization. That was fun. This is also the puzzle that had nine down, take a pointer, question mark. Oh, dog nap. Dog nap, which I really thought was a clever yeah. clue. That was cute. If you liked that clue, you should go on our Instagram because sometimes we put our favorite clues on there. That's true. We do. And we try and tag the constructors if we can find them on Instagram. So we can stalk them. Yes. I also really liked um, 31 Across. Film models are used in it. And the answer is claymation, oh, which is a fun answer. Yeah. Um, also, a topical, 43 Across, student loan provider, Sally May. Nine across, matter of great interest in the U.S., debt. I don't know. I just felt like a... Yeah, I do like that. It was a good it was a good puzzle. Thanks, Pete. Yes. Um, Monday, I don't have anything really to say. It was a good puzzle. puzzle. The November 11th, Evan uh, Kalish. I do want to say, maybe I was coming off of like a, doing the Saturday puzzle or the Sunday puzzle or something, but I felt like I had a better answer for this clue. <laughs> so 58 down was bumbling sorts. Mm-hmm. Like busy bee? It was, I immediately filled in bees, B-E-E-S. Yeah. The answer was oafs. Oh. I feel like bees was funnier. Yeah. <laughs> busy bees, that's a good one. Yeah. That's one for all you constructors out there. Yeah, bumbling, welcome. Bumbling bees, question mark, or bumbling swords, question mark, bees. Um, also, another one. So we, I did the, we did our first ever Wall Street Journal Crossword. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Without me? Yeah, Grace wasn't there. It was fun. It was, fun. Um, it was by, again, Evan Kalish, who 
did the Monday New York Times. Um, I wanted to ask you one question because I kind of was like, I don't know if this is right. Uh, I wanted your opinion. 54 across. Outmoded AOL communications. Three letters. AIM or IMs? Right. Do you think IMs is outmoded? Uh, I don't know. I mean, now everything is like it's a G chat I, an IM technically. Right. Is WhatsApp an IM? Is yeah. Facebook message an IM? Because I'm constantly IMing people. Yeah. I I'm wondering like, if it's only IM because it's AOL. Yeah. I don't know. Is IM an A? Like, is this like Kleenex and tissue? Right. Like, IM is really just for AOL, but people use it for everything else. Right. I don't know. So I just Let know. us know, AOL, if you're out there. Right. Um, do you have anything else that you want to say? Because I have a couple more. No. No, I didn't even do the, the puzzles this week. So. Okay, cool. It cool. Okay. So I actually texted you about this one because I was like hissing into the ether about it. Tuesday, November 12th, New York Times, Gabrielle Friedman and Jacob Weisblatt. Um, they're 17 across. Interested in experimenting sexually, maybe? Oh, yeah. The bi-curious one. I just have to say how freaking offensive that <laughs> clue was. Um Mainly because, and I'm not speaking for all bisexual people here, just some, um, but first of all, nobody says bi-curious anymore. You're questioning if you're thinking about questioning your sexuality, right? Um, And also, experimenting sexually is not, like bisexuality isn't like when you're like thinking about sexual experimentation. It's not a sex thing. Bisexuality is like an identity, you know, so. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, I feel like bi-curious was definitely used more in the past, but it's kind of, it's there's like this idea that bisexuality doesn't really exist. So like you have to be curious before you can officially be, like you have to be curious and try it out before you can officially be bisexual, but that's not true for any other sexual orientation. Like there's no like gay curious or le- not that, obviously like they have their own, you know, issues with society, but there's no like straight curious. I mean, right. even if you like don't have sex until you're married, you're not like straight curious. You're still considered straight. Right. So I feel like it's just kind of a word that's being phased out. I mean, I think if people want to identify as as that, that's fine because you're kind of like dipping your toe in before making a but like in general I feel like you right. shouldn't refer to people as that unless right. they and I s- refer to themselves as that right I don't think that they, like the answer by curious was like I was like but like experimenting sexual like that to me experimenting like, sexually that for example that like is to not, me seems more like trying like BDSM or something exactly. you know like trying something different sexually, right bisexuality not like, is not a fetish is like another thing it's like yeah. It's a sexual identity. It's how people identify and how people are attracted, either sometimes sexually and romantically to people. It's not like, oh, let's try handcuffs tonight. It's like, no, like, I'm not going to, like... You want to try handcuffs tonight? Is that what you're saying? I'm just In front saying. of all of our listeners. Yes, I am. Okay, stop it. Anyway, so, I mean, come on, like, try harder. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. Um, and then the last one, and this is, has, like, a little bit of sensitivity to it, um, so I just, like, want to put that out there um, because it's really upsetting and I just want to like give that as a little bit of a disclaimer. For those who don't know, Vox.com um, has like a crossword that they put out. We don't do the crossword. We tried doing one of them. And we were like, it's not uh, worth no, it. Oh, no, but I saw people tweeting about it. It's, what the heck? It's really bad. I don't even know if I should read the clue. Well, we can just say what happened. Yeah. Basically, they clued um, like a location where there was a mass shooting. No. It, or, yes, that happened. But this one oh. is... <laughs> oh, there's another thing? Yes. Okay. So that's not the one that I was going to talk about. This one, they clued... So the answer was O'Neill. And instead of just picking any other... Any human in the entire world with the last name, O'Neill, and Or just even like popular them, name for an Irish bar. <laughs> <laughs> right. They clued like an investment bank. I mean, I... I don't even know if I want to read it, but you can look it up. It's twelve across. It's twelve down, um, and it was really a really insensitive clue about how many people lost their lives. In, oh, uh, in, yeah, in the in September eleventh. Yeah, should I read it? Um, no, it's fine. You can yeah. look it up if you want. But yeah, they keep doing. They keep cluing like tragic events, and not in a way that's like this terrible. It's very like matter of fact. Like mass shooting at X. Yeah, it's like what the heck? X number of people died at X, and you're like. <laughs> why? Yeah, no, it can be kind of triggering for some people, so that's why I don't necessarily want to read it. But, like, it was like, yeah, it was like, barf. Who is okaying is, that? Right. Adrian Powell, I believe, is the editor. Ooh. I don't yeah, know if he constructed this one, too. That's weird. So, woof. 
All right. Anyway, so thanks for joining us on our Heights and Shites this week. That's all, folks. That's all. Shall we get into the actual coin? Yeah, flip your coin. I'm afraid my stomach's going to growl. I can feel it. Oh, heads, it's you. Okay. All right, so. Apologies in advance if my stomach growls. She's always hungry. (laughs) I don't like to eat right when I wake up. Sue me. Okay. I have a sensitive stomach. Do you have money? Like, could I sue you for money? No. I have nothing. (laughs) She has no property. It's fine. Okay, so my topic is, and funny we should mention it, is the Hope Diamond, which I got from the Thursday New York Times by Joe Pietro. Um, <laughs> it's like part of the theme. Why didn't you do Leg Diamond? <laughs> I don't even know if Leg is right, because someone remind me. I can't even remember. I just Legs Diamond. <laughs> um, okay, so Hope Diamond was not clued into the puzzle. It was part, it was one of those circled... Yeah, like Neil Diamond. Right, exactly. So um, there's no clue. So it's just part of the theme um, in the northwest corner of the puzzle from that w- puzzle. So do you know what the Hope Diamond is? Uh, no. Okay. It is one of the most famous jewels in the entire world um, with ownership records dating back almost four centuries. That's 400 years. Wow. Um, and it's famous because it has this rare, really deep blue color, um, which happens in diamonds sometimes due to um, trace traces of like the boron boron element which oh, is interesting so that's why all my diamonds have turned blue my diamond collection yeah so okay. that makes mm-hmm. sense then yeah um, so when you're classifying diamonds there's four C's of classification um, there's carrot color cut and clarity so let's start with carrot um, it Carrot is like how they weigh the diamond. Um, and so the Hope Diamond weighs 45.52 carats, which is approximately 9.1 grams. It's pretty big. Um, so then the cut is the style or design in which the diamond is like cut into mm-hmm. or shaped. So the cut, I'm going to read this to you and then I'll explain what this all means for the Hope Diamond is cushion antique brilliant with a faceted girdle and extra facets on the pavilion. I know there's people who know exactly what that means, but I am not one of those people. (laughs) We're going to know a little bit more. So antique cushion cut is um, usually like a circular rectangle, um, long, like an oval, but not rounded. Okay. Okay. Brilliant is, you know, like when you look at just like, if you were to like Google diamond and the first image comes up and like has all those like cuts on the top part of it. Yeah. That's what brilliant is. It's like faceted on the top there. Um. So then faceted girdle, the girdle is the the little ribbon around the flat top of the diamond and the pointed part of the diamond mm-hmm. is that like little... Where they meet, the round and pointed Exactly. Part Sometimes they can just meet directly. Sometimes they are thin a or thick. Some, they can be super smooth. Uh, they can be rough. Um, and faceted means they're cut like with little sides. Okay. Um, and the pointed part... Is called the pavilion. Um, so yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, I can picture <laughs> Do you it have in my it head. In your yeah. mind's eye. Have it in my mind palace. Okay, so the clarity is the quality of the diamond in relation to um, like internal characteristics, um, either called inclusions or surface defects called blemishes. So types of inclusions would be things that are quote-unquote, included within the diamond. So cloudiness, other crystals or minerals, knots, um, different cavities, graining, laser lines, and drill holes. Blemishes are more like polish lines, scratches, nicks, pits, chips, breaks, dark spots, light spots, and abrasions. So it's like human error. Yes. Um, So there's a different scale for clarity, and from highest to lowest, it can be flawless, internally flawless, very, very <laughs> slightly included, very slightly included, slightly included, and included. I like to think of myself as being internally flawless. <laughs> you are. So then you'd be, oh, I wish I had put the actual grading number because I could have called you it. Um, the Hope Diamond is a VS1 clarity. <laughs> so that means it is a very slightly included diamond which means they have minor inclusions that are difficult to, difficult to somewhat easy for trained graders to see when viewed under 10 times magnification. Well, just don't look at it that close. And the inclusions that it has is whitish graining inside of it occasionally. Okay, so color. Um, so a diamond's going to occur in a variety of different colors, steel gray, white, 
blue, yellow, orange, red, green, pink, purple, brown, and black. Color technically means that there's impurities in the diamond. A, <gasps> a perfect pure diamond is white and entirely clear, but a lot of colored diamonds actually sell for more than clear diamonds, like the Hope Diamond, for instance, which is now currently worth, like um, estimated to be worth around $350 million. Ooh, that's nice. Yes. So there's a whole science and spectrum of like diamond colors, and I'm not going to get into it, but I will say that diamond colors that are more saturated than norm- than other diamonds are known as fancy color diamonds. Anything less saturated falls off the fancy scale. So the Hope Diamond is fancy dark grayish blue. Ooh. So it's saturated. Um, and its current setting, so this is like how it's currently like being displayed and worn, not that it's being worn. Um, it's sitting inside of a pendant surrounded by 16 white diamonds, which are pear shape and cushion cuts, a bale, which is like um, like a clasp where you hang like a pendant from, yeah, is put on the bottom of the pendant. Um, and it's actually where other diamonds would be attached. So like people who used to wear this setting would attach more diamonds oh underneath God. the hope diamond. Um, and we then get the, it. You're rich. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Um, the necklace chain contains 45 white diamonds. Damn. Wild. Yeah. It has a long and complicated history, which I'm going to get into. Um, it was formed deep within the earth approximately 1.1 billion years ago. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, originally, it was embedded in kimberlite and was later extracted and refined to form the gem it is today. Um, and it's believed to originate from in India, specifically the Kohler mine in the Guntur district of Andhra Pradesh, um, where the original larger stone was purchased and or stolen in 1666 by a French gem merchant uh, named Jean-Baptiste Tavernier. Um, and then it was called the Tavernier Blue. <gasps> and he stole it. Probably. I mean, like, they say, like, purchased or stolen. And I mean, like... Why would they even say or stolen if they didn't think it was stolen? Yeah. I mean, hello, colonial. Not colonial. Yeah. Colonization, yeah. right? Oh, so the Tavernier Blue was cut and yielded the French blue, Le Bleu de France, um, which Tavernier sold to King Louis XIV in 1668. Um, and then Louis XIV commissioned the court jewel- jeweler to recut the Tavernier blue, resulting in a 67.125-carat stone that he put into a cravat pin, which he would wear on his cravat. As you Must do. be nice. And so then it went, it was 13.4 grams. Um, so then Louis the Fifteenth had the French blue set into a more elaborate jeweled pendant for um, a piece for the older Order of the Golden Fleece. The Order of the Golden Fleece is like a chivalric order that he was a part of. Um, and so he had it taken out of the cravat and he put it into like a different pendant, which hangs on like a shawl for the Order of the Golden Fleece. So then the diamond eventually became property of Louis the Sixteenth, whose wife was Queen Marie Antoinette. Uh, I know her. Oh, my God. So Marie Antoinette actually liked to use all of the French crown jewels, and she would, like, take them from their settings and put them in different settings and then mix and match them and, like, just use the court jeweler to, like, create tons of different, like, pieces for her. Um, But the French blue remained in the pendant for the Order of the Golden Fleece, except for, like, one time, like, they took it out and, like, it was used for scientific experiment for, like, a year, and then it was put right back. But here's where it gets crazy. So, on September 11th, 1792, while Louis XVI and his family were imprisoned in the temple in the early stages of the Reign of Terror in the, uh, during the French Revolution, a group of thieves broke into the royal storehouse <gasps> and stole most of the crown jewels during a five-day looting spree. Five days? Yes. They couldn't catch them in five days? That's well, bad. during the French Revolution, it was kind of like people were busy. They were like, fuck it, let's just take what we can. So... Many of these jewels that were stolen were later recovered, including other pieces from the Order of the Golden Fleece. Except the French blue was not among them, and it (gasps) later disappeared from history. So what they think happened was it was smuggled to London um, after it was seized in Paris. Um, But the exact rock known as the French blue was never seen again. What they think happened is that it was stolen and cut down. Yeah. Into two different stones, one of which became the Hope Diamond, which is the larger piece, and one became a smaller jewel, which nobody knows nobody what that is now. Nobody knows. Yeah. Someone knows. If you know out there. I know. There, there's like that black market for like, yeah. I don't Someone know. has to know someone who's involved with this. Someone's grandpa, great-grandpa. Great-great-grandfather. 
So, and actually, I think I read later they did find like some kind of documentation that hinted that there was the hope the the diamond was cut and then the hope diamond was like made from it. But that's that. So, eventually, a diamond of the same shape, color, and size of the hope diamond was recorded by um, to be in possession of a diamond merchant. Um, Daniel Ellison in September 1812. And this is the earliest point in history that we know the Hope Diamond being anywhere in particular, like specifically Mm -hmm. um, after it disappeared. Um, And it was called a massive blue stone of 45.45 carats. So that's like the closest to the French blue that it had been. Um, And the date of 1812 when it was like kind of resurfaced was 20 years later, like when it went when it went missing and it was 20 years after the statute of limitations of the crime had taken place so like no like they couldn't do anything they couldn't do anything about it so there's a lot of theories about who owned the diamond during its london years including potentially george the fourth of england but there's no definitive proof it was later reported to have been acquired by a rich london banker named thomas hope which is where he got the name where the diamond got the name um and it was acquired for either sixty-five thousand or nine hundred thousand dollars in um 1839, the diamond appeared in a published catalog of gem collections of Henry Philip Hope, who was a member of the same family that originally had it. Um, And then Henry Philip Hope left it to his um, grandson, Henry Francis Pelham Clinton. And then Henry Francis fell into bankruptcy and needed to settle his debt and sold the diamond for 29,000 pounds, which is equivalent to 3.9 million pounds today. Um, and he sold it to a London jewel maker or a jewel merchant. And that merchant later sold the stone to Simon Frankel, who took the stone to New York, where it was estimated of being worth $4.2 million today. Damn. So that was happening, like, in the, like, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. So eventually it went through a ton of owners, and I'm not going to get into all of them because there's a ton. It landed with... Evelyn Walsh McLean and Pierre Cartier. The Cartier. Cartier. Yes. So she was often seen wearing it. They, before purchasing it, the couple like reported concern about the supposed curse attached to the diamond, which we'll get into. Um, but a lot of people think that, that was like a ruse to get the merchants to like lower the price of the diamond. <laughs> they eventually settled on buying it for $300,000. And Evelyn That's Walsh. That's not a bad price, actually. I mean, at the time, $300,000 is. $250,000 in New York at the time is the equivalent of $7.5 million. Okay, never mind. That's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so, Evelyn Walsh often wore it to socialite gatherings and parties, and she would apparently make a game of losing the diamond and ask guests to participate in a children's game of, quote, finding the hope. Rich people are fucking yeah, crazy. Yeah, grow up, you weirdo. Yeah. So And they probably, like, murdered the loser. <laughs> When Mrs. McLean died in 47, she bequeathed the diamond to her grandchildren, though her will said that um, her former property would remain in the custody of trustees until the eldest child had reached 25 years of age, which would actually have presented the sale of any of her belongings for the next two decades. However, the trustees were like, F that, she's broke as hell. You can sell her jewels to settle her debts. Um, And so they sold the jewel in 1949 to um, another diamond merchant, Henry Winston. I mean, he actually purchased her whole collection. Damn. These people are so rich. I, it's wild. I should be a diamond merchant. I, you can call me Legs Diamond. <laughs> Legs Diamond McGee. I'm leaving my baseball career and I'm becoming a diamond merchant. Um, so this, there's a Smithsonian mineralogist, George Switzer. He's actually credited with persuading Winston to donate the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian Museum. Listen to this. On November 10th, 1958, Winston put the Hope Diamond in the U.S. mail in a box wrapped in brown paper um, as simple registered mail insured for a hun- for $1 million. Oh, my gosh. And it was like, so it cost $145. 2.4 of those dollars was postage, the balance insurance, um, and it was shipped through the U.S. mail to the Smithsonian. And it made it. That's because risky. Because they... they now they call it specimen number 217868, in case you need to go steal it. That's what it's called. Don't encourage that. Sorry. Um, and it's remained there on display ever since. Wow. And it is currently worth 350000 $350 million? Million. Yeah. 350000 is that much. No. Okay. And so, the curse. The curse of the Hope Diamond. So, the diamond 
kind of like has been surrounded by this mythology and this curse for a while. And it said that it brings misfortune and tragedy to anybody who wears uh, or owns the diamond. But it strongly suggests that these stories are fabricated to kind of like make it be worth think? more. <laughs> yeah. The myth states it has the original form of the Hope Diamond was stolen from the eye of a sculpted statue of the goddess Sita, the wife of Rama, the seventh avatar of Vishnu. However, just like the curse of like Tutankhamun, the general type of legend like this was most likely invented by Western authors during the Victorian era because people were bored and white and they just needed to steal things from people. Mm-hmm. There's actually, though, a New York Times article in 1911 that gave a list of supposed cases of ill fortune like at the hand of the diamond. I'm just going to read you a couple. Jacques Collette bought the Hope Diamond from Simon Frankel and committed suicide, <gasps> for instance. Prince Ivan Kantanovsky bought bought the diamond, but was killed by Russian revolutionaries. Simon um, Mencherides once sold it to the Turkish sultan, who was thrown, and Simon was thrown from a precipice along with his young wife and child. Tavernier, who, bought the, who brought the stone from India to Paris, was torn to pieces by wild dogs in Constantinople. Mm. I don't know. Sounds like bad luck to me. But since the Smithsonian acquired the gemstone, the quote, the curse is, quote, appears to have gone dormant. And owning the diamond has brought nothing but good luck for the nonprofit <laughs> National Museum. That's what they say on their website. That's exactly They're like, they it's say. not cursed. Yeah. Come see it. Yeah. So I want to mention um, a couple other famous jewels. Okay. So there's the yellow, the Tiffany yellow diamond, which is the largest yellow diamond ever discovered in the rough, and it was discovered in 1878, and it was purchased by jeweler Charles Tiffany, ring a bell. Um, Tiffany! And has only been worn by three women during its lifetime. One, Mrs. E. Sheldon Whitehouse at a Tiffany ball in 57. She was like the wife of a diplomat. Audrey Hepburn wore it in publicity photos for the film Breakfast at Tiffany's. And then Lady Gaga wore it at the 91st Academy Awards. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about the Cory Noor diamond, which is one of the largest cut diamonds in the world, um, and it's part of the British crown jewels. Quote, changed hands between various factions in the South and West Asia until a great British colonized India and took it in 1849. Dude, Great Britain has everything from everyone. Yes. So it's actually acquired a reputation in the royal family for bringing bad luck to any man who wears it due to the family's long history of what they call, quote, fighting between men, a.k.a. colonization. Uh, (laughs) So only women have ever worn the diamond as a result. Victoria wore the stone in a brooch. After she died, it was set into the crown of Queen Alexandra. It was then transferred to the crown of Queen Mary and then to the crown of Queen Elizabeth, which she wore for her coronation. And you can see the jewel in the Tower of London. The governments of India and Pakistan have both claimed ownership of the diamond and demanded its return. And the Brits insist that the gem was obtained, obtained illegally, or sorry, legally, under the terms of the last treaty of Lahore and has rejected to return the diamond. Mm-hmm. Go fucking figure. Um, and the last one I'm going to talk to you about is La Peregrina, which I think there's like a funny story at the end. This is why I want to tell this one. It's one of the most famous pearls in the world, and it has a history that spans almost 500 years. It was first referenced in 19, uh, I mean, sorry, in 1539. It was brought to Spain from Venezuela, um, and it was sold to King Philip II of Spain. It was meant to be a gift for his daughter, but the king found it so beautiful that he kept it for himself. He was like, oh, wait, I love this. Yes. See, let's see. So it has a really long history, but... This, per- this pearl is known for being like La Peregrina, the Wanderer, mm-hmm. because it constantly gets lost. Like people are, it's so heavy on like the setting that it will fall out of the setting and just like totally get lost. So one of these examples, um, there's like a wife of the Duke of Abercone, Louisa. She would wear the necklace and it was lost on at least two occasions. First time the pearl got lost in a sofa at Windsor Castle. <laughs> the second time during a ball at Buckingham Palace. On both occasions, the pearl was recovered. Eventually, it was sold to Sotheby's in London, or sold at Sotheby's in London, um, but to Richard Burton, who was the husband of uh, Elizabeth Taylor. He bought it for $37,000, and he gave it to Elizabeth Taylor for Valentine's Day. Yeah, during their first marriage. <laughs> nice. Yes. So here's a funny story. On one occasion, the pearl went missing in the Burton suite at Caesar's Palace, Paradise, Nevada. This is a quote from Elizabeth Taylor's book. Quote, At one point, I reached down to touch La Peregrina, and it wasn't there. 
I glanced over at Richard and thank God he wasn't looking at me. And I went into the bedroom and threw myself on the bed, buried my head into the pillow and screamed. Very slowly and very carefully, I retraced all my steps in the bedroom. I took my slippers off, took my socks off and got down on my hands and knees, looking everywhere for the pearl. Nothing. I thought, it's got to be in the living room in front of Richard. What am I going to do? He'll kill me. He loved that piece. So then, like, after a few minutes, she was, like, completely freaking out. Taylor went back into the living room and looked at their puppies. One of them was apparently chewing on a bone, but nobody gave bones to the puppies. (gasps) Taylor continues, quote, I just casually opened the puppy's mouth, and inside his mouth was the most perfect pearl in the world. I was, thank God. It was, thank God, not scratched. Oh, my gosh. Dogs. That's what your dog would do. <laughs> my dog would have swallowed it by yeah. that time. Are you kidding? You'd have to wait for it to come out the other end. Yeah. There are some really interesting, like, famous jewels um, with really interesting famous stories. Yeah. And it's just amazing how big some of these damn things can be. And, like... And how expensive. Yeah. So, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the Hope Diamond. I did enjoy it. My topic is kind of similar. Interesting. Is it Legs Diamond? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, my topic comes from Animation Ships by Johnny... Lezebnik from the Queer Crosswords pack, and it's 29 across, traditional 45th anniversary gift. Oh. Sapphire. Nice. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not talking about Sapphire, but I'm talking about anniversary gifts. Amazing. I think this is fun. Yeah. Similar we, to that. They diamond. always come up, the, the, the anniversary gifts. I know, and they're and kind we of weird. Know. Yeah. Well, now you're going to find out. All right, hit me. Okay. So, well, if you don't know what we're talking about, basically, like, Wedding anniversaries have specific themes like paper, wood, diamond, sapphire, whatever. Um, So I'm going to talk about how that came about. Okay. Researchers believe that special gift giving on anniversaries can be traced back to ancient Rome and medieval Germany. Hmm. Uh, By the 18th century, there is like solid written proof uh, of this gift gift giving culture in Germany. Mainly, it was silver wreaths were given for 25 years of marriage and gold wreaths were given for 50 years of marriage. Some scholars believe that silver was chosen because it represents good luck and good fortune to the married couple. So after 25 years, you get silver. And then gold is more expensive, so it could be a symbol of the strengthening of the marriage and the investment the couple has made in their relationship for 50 years. Okay. Uh, This was still not that common in English countries at the time. Um, So sometimes it would come up in media and they'd have to, there's like instances where it's kind of explained to English countries. So for example, German author Marie Nathesius, she had a novel that was translated to English in 1860. And they talked about like silver weddings, which is basically like the 25th anniversary celebration. And the translator added a whole... uh, um, a note on that chapter to explain that, like, what silver weddings were and why mm. it was such a big deal in Germany mm. because they thought the English people wouldn't get it. <laughs> However, it started picking up steam in English-speaking countries, namely, like, Great Britain in the 1800s during the Victorian era when <laughs> everyone was crazy, which is what I... <laughs> yeah. They were just looking for things to do. Also, um, Victoria, like, her family is German, technically, which so there might be some something to be said there too. Could be. She does have something to do with Ooh. one of them. Okay. One of the years. And her husband was definitely German. Yeah. Prussian. So, so yeah, that could be. Okay. So Stephanie Kuntz, she is a director of research and public education for the Council on Contemporary Families, and she wrote like a research paper. So I'm going to be quoting her a little bit, um, but she's talking about how, why it was so popular in the Victorian era. She says, "Quote: This makes total sense. This was a period when it became an exchange of gifts or gifts from other people, because this was the period when the love match was triumphing. When the love match was first invented, it was very destabilizing, and traditional conservatives were horrified by the idea. What in the world will we do to get people married?" and keep them married if love is the main reason. And so there began to be this emphasis on building on building a love and commitment. I see. So they're saying, like, instead of, like, betrothing. Yeah. Well, people, people used to get married for more practical reasons. Right. And now people are getting married for love. So people are like, well, are people going to even stay married for love? So now you have all these anniversary, like, milestones to hit. So it kind of makes your anniversaries more important, hoping that maybe that'll... Keep people married. Um, In the 1850s, there's a travel book on peasant life in Germany, and the author mentions that uh, while or mentions that both men and women get presents. So in in this book, uh, the woman wears a silver wreath, while the man wears a silver 
belt buckle on their 25th wedding anniversary. However, it is, has seemed in history that more emphasis was put on the wife getting a present. Hmm. Even though technically both should, it seems like it was more important for the wife to get a present. Um, and Kuntz explained that the idea of love marriage was growing, but traditional gender roles still remained. People believed that the wife's achievement in reaching the milestone was the one worth celebrating. Kuntz says, quote, there's still not the idea that marriage takes work from the husband, but there's more recognition that it takes work from the wife. So basically, it's like the wife should get a gift for staying married that long because yeah. the marriage is her uh, all her work. And I feel like this is the same thing as why we have bridal showers and no groom showers. Right. Um, it's not that impressive for a guy to get married because there will be many more accomplishments in his life. However, for women to get married, it's like the main thing she can do. So having a bridal shower, you invite all the women in your family to come celebrate. Yes. Makes sense. Queen. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So in 1886, uh, there was a magazine called Ocean Curiosity Shop. Hmm. And there is um, an instance where the magazine answered a reader question about why women specifically should receive these gifts. And the magazine said, in agreement with the old idea that the harmony of the household depended mainly upon the wife, she received the reward. <laughs> this is like written proof. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so at this time, it was still mainly like the silver and gold traditions for the 25th and 50th. However, people and mainly shopkeepers were wanted to look for ways to make other anniversaries have themes too, so they can like sure. sell more stuff and make more money. So in 1859, um, one of the first instances of this is in the Old Farmer's Almanac, and they say that one month from marriage makes a sugar wedding, one year makes a paper wedding. Then they talk about wood at five years, tin for 10 years, silver for 25, golden for 50, and diamond at 75. Hmm. Um, in Denmark, there's a thing called a copper wedding at 12 and a half years. So apparently the 12 and a half year, then this is still around today, uh, supposedly according to my research, um, but the 12 and a half year wedding anniversary is like a big deal in Denmark. Hmm. Um, and the theme is copper. So at your um, 12 and a half year anniversary, the family members build the couple half of an arch made from spruce. And then during their 25th anniversary, you get the other half. And then this arch is decorated with flowers and lights and it's positioned at the door of your home. Oh, that's really freaking cute. Actually. Yeah. So I guess 12 and a half is halfway to 20. I see. Yeah. yeah. But that seems to be a Denmark thing. Um, by the 1900s, this whole thing became extremely commercialized. In 1922, Emily Post published a book called The Blue Book of Social Usage, and this is one of the main, like, where the traditional wedding gifts, this is one of the main sources for where it comes from. Mm -hmm. So she says that there's eight important wedding anniversaries everyone must know. The 1st, 5th, 10th, 15th, 20th, 25th, 50th, and 75th. That's a lot. God yeah. Damn. Well, it's kind of, it goes, like, every five years until after the 25th, and it's like, all right, then you don't have to celebrate again until 50 and then until 75. I guess um, I feel like if you're there for 25, then I guess. Yeah, it's like, okay, we can't keep getting gifts every year. So she came up with anniversary gifts for the first 15 years and then, like, themed anniversary gift for the first 15 years and then um, one for every five years after that. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Are you going through them all? I will. Okay. In 1937, the American National Retail Jewelers Associ Association was like, well, we're not making that much money off of this because we're right. not making money off of tin and wood and all this other bullshit. So they wanted to expand the list with a more modern version. So the modern version, like Emily Post only had gifts for the first 15 years. The R Jewelers Association said you get gifts for the um, first 20 years and then every five years after that. So there's not like one hard and fast list. There's all different types of sure. lists that go around. Some, you know, are every year, like I said, till the 25th. Some are every year until the 60th. So that's what I'm going to read. This list is from Hallmark.com. <laughs> the be all yeah. and all I list. couldn't find, like, even on Wikipedia, they had different, uh, like, different lists. There was no one hard and fast list. And there's also different from, like, the U.S. and the U.K. So these are the U.S. ones. Okay. Hit okay. me. So year one, paper. Like, what does that mean? Like, you give them stationery? Yeah. Year two, cotton. <laughs> Here's some, some cotton balls. You get them, like, a cotton underwear. I don't know. Yeah. Year three is leather. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can get them, like, a nice satchel. Uh, year four is fruit or flowers, which okay. is pretty easy, you I think. You would fruit. Yeah. I guess flowers. It did not give me an edible arrangement. I swear to God. <laughs> Just get her a regular flower arrangement. Yeah. Um, if someone ever got me an edible arrangement, I would know they don't know me at all. Yeah. 
Year five, wood. <laughs> Giggle. Um, year six is candy or iron. <laughs> Two very candy, different please. Things. Yeah. Um, it's like can. It's like you get like a bag of Werther's or you get like a fucking sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Choose. Pick your poison. Yeah. Year seven is wool or copper. Year eight is pottery or bronze. Year nine is willow or pottery. Year 10 is tin or aluminum. So tin and 10 has been around for a long time, hmm. and wood and five has been around for a yeah. long time. Um, year 11 is steel. Year 12 is silk or linen. Year 13 is lace. Year 14 is gold jewelry. Year 15 is crystal. Year 16 is coffee or tea. Year 17 is wine or spirits. Year 18 is appliances. Okay. <laughs> 19 is jade. 20th anniversary is China. Fine China, not the country. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, 25th anniversary is fire. Like, that's the theme. 22nd is water. 23rd is air. And 24th is stone. So those are all, like, more vague ideas of what okay. you can get. 25th is silver. 26th is art. 27, music. 28, linens. 29, tools. 30. Tools? Yeah. Is that for the men? Um, women can use tools, I know they too. Can. Okay. Your 30 is pearls. There you go. 31 is travel. Okay, listen. Um, you said 30 was pearls? Yeah. Okay, if I don't get, like, La Peregrina for my 30th anniversary, then what's the point? What was this there all for? There is no point. Um, 32 is bronze. 33 is iron. These are repeating themselves. Uh, 34 is food. <laughs> 35 is coral. 36 is antiques. 37, books. 38 is luck, and 39 is laughter. Those are also themes. <laughs> uh, you can take someone, like, get someone comedy tickets for the yeah. 39th anniversary. 40 is ruby. 41 is office or desk decor. What? It really is like desks was, is 41, like a desk set. Um, 42 is clocks or watches. 43rd is entertainment. 44th is electronic. 45th is sapphire. Okay. That was the clue. <clears throat> 46 is games. 47 is garden or plants. 48 is home improvement. <laughs> 49 is copper, again. 50th is gold. 51st, photos or cameras. 52nd, bath or spa. 53rd, plastic. Hmm. <laughs> They're running out of ideas. 54, glass. All right, also plastic's destroying the universe. So yeah. That's fine. 55, emerald. 56, day. 57, night. 57th is night. Those are themes again. 58 is faith and hope, whatever that means. 59 is charity. And the 60th is diamond. Cool. And that, yeah, there's more after that, but those are the main ones. All right. Um, fun fact, the fourth anniversary is fruit. And my friend Rose, who designed our cover art for our podcast, she has an Etsy shop that I don't remember the name. Oh my gosh, I'll I'll tweet about it. But she posts like fruit. It's like fruit pun greeting cards, and so she has them for a bunch of different things, like graduation, like new baby. But she has she says like her most popular one is it's happy banana anniversary, and it's oh. two bananas. And guys asked, I was like, are you still selling stuff on your Etsy? She's like, yeah, that's the most people buy that. I guess it's it's the fourth anniversary is fruit. Oh, that's so, so people funny. buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so about the 60th anniversary being diamond, it used to be the 75th anniversary was diamond. However, People are dying too early. Yeah, 75th. I mean, that's a long time. Um, Queen Victoria celebrated her 60th year reign with a diamond jubilee in 1897. She did. So then it became the 60th anniversary symbol. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So now I have some other ways to celebrate uh, your wedding anniversaries. If, you know, you can add it on cheeky. to your theme. See, I kind of like the themes. This is something I would stick to because I feel like it's weird. Yeah. Okay. So in the Commonwealth realms, you can get a message from the monarch for your 60th, 65th, and 70th wedding wedding anniversaries oh, wow. and any wedding anniversary after that. So in the United Kingdom, you would apply to Buckingham Palace. Um, and in other places, you would apply, apply to the governor general's office. Wow. In Australia, you can get a letter from the Governor General for your 50th anniversary and all anniversaries after that from the Prime Minister, the federal opposition leader, local members of both state and federal parliaments, and or state governors. Hmm. So everyone, you can like get like 10 people to wish you Can you do that in America? Yes. Um, well, first, in Canada, you can get a message from the Governor General for your 50th anniversary and every fifth anniversary after that. So Canada's a little... Stingier. Stingy. You're not getting every year, okay? You're getting 50, then every five. Chill out. Yeah, We've just been married. God. 
Canada also is a lot bigger than, but actually not that big of a population. Okay, in the U.S., you can get an anniversary greeting card from the president oh. for your 50th and all uh, anniversaries after that. Now you know. Now you know. So if you want to, I'm sorry if you're getting married in the next, like, year, if, you, if your 50th anniversary is in the next year and get a, a greeting card from Trump. Yeah. Um, and then Roman Catholics, you can get a papal blessing through your local diocese uh, for wedding anniversaries for your 25th, 50th, 60th, etc. So like the big milestone ones. Ah. So if you want a papal blessing, head over to your is local diocese. I don't know. You're the Catholic. Yeah, yeah but I don't talk to the Pope. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, and then I found some other wedding superstitions. So every month has like its own superstition uh, associated with it. They're all kind of dumb. However, I came across this on multiple websites. Apparently, May is the most unlucky month to get married. But I feel like it's a very popular month to get it married. Is, yeah. Um, you would know because your boyfriend works weddings. So yeah. I know they're busy in the summer. Yeah. Um, but then June is the most popular, I think. Yeah. I, th- I think June is okay, but May is, so don't get married in May, y'all. There you go. And you then here first. there's um, different superstitions with the days of the week okay. for weddings. So if you get married on a Monday, it'll bring you health. Tuesday will bring you wealth. Wednesday is the luckiest day of all to get married. Thursday will bring you suffering and loss. Friday, suffering and crosses. And Saturday, no luck at all. What about Sunday? You don't get married on Sunday. No, no, it's not on this list. But basically, when so when I get married on a Wednesday and people start complaining about having yeah. to go to a wedding on Wednesday. Um, I'm going to get married on a Tuesday. Wealth. You want wealth? Okay. I'm just going to do a three-day wedding Monday through Wednesday so I get health, wealth, and luck. Nice. So, yeah. That's it. Those wow. are my... Uh, I like that topic. That's yeah. fun. I know. What would you get for, like, wood? Um, I guess you could get, like... I don't know, like a wooden figurine or like a piece of furniture. Furniture or something like maybe like um like like a serving dish, honestly. Like something yeah. really nice. Like um You could take a wood shop class together. A wood shop class, yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here. Yeah. If you have if you need any other suggestions, let us know. Please tweet us at Wood Etching. <laughs> a wood like bur- you know how you can burn images onto wood that of exactly. my face. I could burn my face into the wood for them. Yeah. Saying happy fifth anniversary. Hello. I missed what was some what's um eight again? Eight is pottery or bronze. Okay, I'm coming up on eight. Is Matt, this your we're coming an- up on eight. This is your wedding anniversary. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. You have to start over once you get married. Sorry. Paper. Yeah, paper would be stationary. I guess so. Post-its. Stationary or like, um, yeah, post-it notes. <laughs> a letter. A homemade card. Origami. 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 Yeah. Cool. Cool. Good topics. Well, if you have any feelings about diamonds, this is a romantic topic. Yeah. We should have saved this for Valentine's oh Day. God. Yeah, like jewels or Wedding anniversaries. If you celebrate wedding anniversaries with this, like, um, theme, let us know, like, the weirdest thing you've got. Gotten. Yeah. Do you follow it traditionally? Do you, like, try and make, like, a joke of it? Like, try to have fun with it? Like, kooky things? Like, you let us Are know. Are you quirky? Tell us. Yeah. Are you not like the other girls? You tell us. <laughs> um, anyways, thanks for listening. Yep. You can tell us all these things and more at Twitter. We are The Good Eve Girls. Instagram, at The Good Evening Girls. Um, and that's who we are, the Good Evening Girls. And I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. Uh, and this is Two Girls, One Crossword. We love That you. was me blowing a kiss <laughs> to the mic. Yes. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.